For fans of Canadian track and field, the spring has almost been an embarrassment of riches. Whether it's been watching the high-flying Sean Barber pole vault his way into the record books, witnessing Canada's latest sprint star Andre de Grasse do a sing in the 100 and 200, or Cam Levins run an expertly executed 10,000 to take home the Canadian record. Not to be left out, the women of Canadian track have also been doing incredible things, and one of those women will be joining me on today's show. Stay tuned for our feature interview with Natasha Wodak, Canada's Queen of the 10,000. We'll also chat with elite racewalker and regular detective of dopers, Evan Dunphy, about the latest developments in athletics and doping. Don't go anywhere. This is the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. At the Terminal Mile on Twitter and available via tracky.ca, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn, this is the Terminal Mile. And to say that's been a great spring on both the road and track for Canadians would be a bit of an understatement with Canadian records falling all over the place. My guest joining me right now is responsible for one of those records, besting the old Canadian 10,000 meter record by over three seconds at the Peyton Jordan invite earlier this spring. And this is just one of her many recent accomplishments. Welcome to the show, Natasha Wodak. Hi, thanks for having me. 2014 was a year that saw you kind of stuck on the sidelines for much of it with injury. But so far, 2015 has been a year that has seen you stronger than ever. Coming off that injury, what's been the key to your comeback? Um, there's no single, you know, thing that's been the key to my comeback. I think it's just um, an accumulation of being able to get in, uh, consistent training, um, staying healthy, um, and just, you know, like I've said before in, in so many other interviews, just having a renewed passion for what I do and really loving it. Um, has been a huge key to, I think, why I'm doing so well now. You know, as mentioned earlier, you broke that Canadian 10,000-meter record at Peyton Jordan earlier this spring. Uh, Peyton Jordan is known for its ultra-fast times, uh, but that coupled with a fairly busy race schedule for you up to that point, uh, what were your goals going into that meet, and did you have the Canadian record on your radar? Um, no, I did not think that the Canadian record was going to be something I was going to do that night. I mean, obviously, it was a goal of mine for the next. It was like my, more of my like four in my four year plan sort of thing. Hmm. So uh, my goal going into the race was just to sort of get those standards out of the way. So make the Pan Am Games team and um, run the standards for the Olympics and World Championships, which Olympics was 32.15 and World Championship standards was 32 flat. So um, yeah, going into those races, I knew I was going into that race. Sorry. Um, I knew my fitness was the best it's ever been. And my training was indicating that I was ready to run around 32 minutes, I would say. So, um, conditions were ideal. The race was ideal. I felt great, uh, and everything fell into place. And I mean, I surprised everybody and most of all myself when I ran, um, 31, 41. So that was a bit of a shock, but pretty cool. <laughs> I guess so. It's been a fairly extended spring for you, including the New York half marathon in March, uh, extending to the Canadian half marathon championship, plus another race in New York this weekend. Uh, just, a, how have you been able to stay fresh and performing at such a high level for so long? Um, I think number, number one is that I didn't race for so long last year and I had a, you know, huge amount of time, you know, I had a full six weeks off last spring and then I spent the summer really trying to kind of get back into shape and having many setbacks. So there was a, a full, you know, September and August where I was only allowed to run about 40 to 50 K per week plus cross training. So 
I'm not coming into this season off of a full year of hammering races last year. So I'm feeling pretty fresh still. Um, with that being said, it's still a long season ahead. So, you know, my coach Richard Lee and I um, have sort of taken a step back in June and just sort of lowered a bit of the intensity of my workouts to try and um, not sort of burn myself out so that when it comes to, you know, world champs at the end of August, I am still fresh and I'm ready to, to um, get in some good workouts right before. So, yeah, I guess the key is, you know, getting knowing when to recover too, right? And take mm. a few days off when I need to. And I'm not afraid to take days off as often as I need to feel recovered. Let's go back a couple of weeks to the Canadian Half Marathon Championship uh, in Calgary. You finished a very respectable second place in 213.29. Talk to me a bit about that race. From what I hear, it's a super unforgiving course. And, uh, you know, how did the, uh, the altitude affect uh, your race? Uh, well, to be honest, uh, that race really didn't fit into my schedule. Um, I just did it because it was the Canadian Championships. It was pretty poor timing in the scheme of where things fell in my season. So um, I wasn't really um, going for a fast time or a hard effort. I just really wanted to kind of place well and have a hard effort, not like a full out effort. So, you know, um, I was happy with that. It was even a little harder than I had wanted. Um, uh, the altitude was okay. I was surprised. It didn't affect me as much as I thought. Um, the course itself, I also didn't find that difficult I mean yeah it had some rolling hills but it was fine it was um the only thing I think that bothered me about that that day and that race is that it started at 6 30 a.m and so that's that's a, that's a little bit early I didn't really quite feel awake so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you know it, it was good and I knew going in that um I wasn't I wasn't going to try and, and hammer it for the win. So when Lanny went, I was happy to let her go and run my own race. And um, I knew for me, hammering a half marathon at this time in my season would be too costly for me and I wouldn't be able to recover properly. So I've got a lot of big things coming this summer and I needed to be smart and make sure that I was able to um, run hard enough, but also be smart and, and recover well from it. So. Now, the week before that in Ottawa, it was uh, really cool to watch both you and Lanny go out so aggressively with that lead pack and uh, hold on for almost, you know, about four kilometers. Were you expecting to be right up there uh, at the front for so long? And, you know, did it come back to haunt you a little bit later in that race? Yeah, definitely. I was I was surprised. Um, you know, my plan was just to basically try and win the Canadian championship title. And I wasn't too concerned about what else was going on. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, basically run with Lanny. And so Lanny went out and we were with that front pack of, you know, the, the five or six uh, African girls. And I knew they were going for the course record, which I think was uh, 31.30 or 31.20, I think. So I was a little scared. Mm -hmm. <laughs> When we went through the first, you know, a couple of K and I think we went through two K in like six eleven or something. And I knew that that was really fast. Um, but I also knew, you know, I'm coming off of, you know, a 31 41 and that I was fit. So it just go for it. So I was, it was fun. And did it, did it come back to haunt me? Um, no, because I ran 31 58. So I ran a huge PB. Um, 
the first 5K was a little bit fast. I mean, we went through in 15.48, so I obviously sewed a bit on the second half, but, you know, I if I hadn't gone for it in the beginning, I probably never would have ran that fast, so... You know, taking a look at this spring, you've raced everything from an eight-kilometer road race to cross-country and even a few half-marathons as well. Uh, while many specialize in one distance, you seem to thrive in many different events. Uh, what's your reasoning for racing so many different distances? Um, you know what? <laughs> Considering uh, some of my past years, I think I've narrowed it down quite a bit <laughs> because in 20. 20- 13, I ran everything from a 1500 meter 3000 steeplechase to a marathon. So um, I've definitely narrowed it. And I think my main focus is, is, is the 10K. But in order to run well at a 10K, you have to have the strength from a half marathon and the speed from a 5 or an 8K. So I think that that's what I've been doing this season. And I absolutely love cross country. So um, I went to world cross country champs at because I love the sport and it's a world championship event. And anytime I get the opportunity to represent Canada, I'm going to be there. So, uh, and also I I believe it makes you such a strong runner and it's great. I mean, look at Fiona Benson. She was on the team with me and she just ran 201. So cross country is the kind of sport that we can all do and, and gain from it in whatever event we choose to do later on in the season. So that being said, what would you say that your preferred uh, race is? Would it be the cross country or would it be the 10,000? Um, definitely the 10k, 10k on the road is my favorite event. Like if I had a choice of what I wanted to do, uh, 10,000 meter on the track, you know, 25 laps. It's hard to say that that's, you know, going to be my favorite cause that's a lot of laps, but yeah, that's definitely, you know, half marathons are good too, but I'm definitely going to say 10k on the road. With such a, a wide array of races distances, what does a week of training look like for you right now? Um, it stays pretty consistent, actually, uh, hovering around between about 100 and 115K a week, uh, give or take. Um, we're not, we've managed not to drop it too low in between races, which I think has been, you know, important to, you know, not continue to taper for every race because then I wouldn't be able to really build. <laughs> so, mm. um, yeah, I think we usually, if I have... Um, if it's a week where I'm not racing, then I usually will do one track workout, one road workout, and maybe something on the trails or a progression or something like that. So it's pretty varied, and I try to get it in the pool once or twice a week to help my body recover even when I'm not injured. And, you know, the regular, I don't really double very often. Um, I'm a pretty low mileage runner, so I really will only double if I'm um, running in the pool or if I'm pool running or if it's, uh, just like a a 30 minute shakeout before or after a workout. So you currently train with the uh, British Columbia endurance project, a group supported by uh, BC athletics featuring guys like Kelly Weeb and Dylan Wikes. How important do you feel it is that there are groups like this of high level athletes training together with the type of support you guys get? Uh, Oh, I'm so fortunate to be a part of BSEP. That's what we call it. Um, I joined the group a few years ago and it's just such an amazing program and and all the people on the team are all so great and we all have the same goals and dreams and aspirations and we sort of feed off each other and are all so supportive. Um, You know, it doesn't matter what we're doing. We all, you know, will be, there'll be three or four of us at every kind of workout, right? So we'll all do different things, but we're there warming up together and cheering each other on when we're not on the track and, you know, when, I'm, when Dylan's off racing somewhere, I'll send him a message 
And then when I'm off racing somewhere, you know, he'll message me good luck or with Kelly and Luke, it's all the same. You know, we're always supporting each other. Um, and, you know, Richard Lee is such a great coach. And so we're lucky to have him in that position. And, and so it's just been such a great group. And I'm really, I really feel like I've thrived out here being a part of this group. It's been noted that it's been an insane year for Canadian athletics, especially on the women's side. How important to your success has it been to have other top-level athletes like Lanny Marchand competing uh, in many of the same events? Um, yeah, it's so exciting. I mean, we call it, we're calling it the resurgence of um, distance running for women. It's, it's just amazing. I mean, if, for example, uh, Peyton Jordan, um, my A6 teammate Jessica O'Connell ran 15.06 on the track right before I got on the track and I watched her last few laps and I was so inspired. I mean, she just, just gives it everything when she runs. I don't know if you've ever seen her run, but she's just like, just so awesome to watch running. She just gives it everything. So stepping onto the track that night, I was feeling inspired and, you know, with Lanny, she's just such a great friend of mine and such a huge competitor. And I love racing against her and she always brings out the best in me and, um, I'm so lucky to have her in all these races and, um, it's just I'm so fortunate to have these women, you know, to run against and be inspired by. And it's really cool. Yeah. Well, it's been super exciting for us to watch, uh, taking a look back on your year so far. It's, it's been pretty incredible. What would you say the, the overall highlights have been for you? Oh, uh, well, obviously the number one highlight would be breaking the Canadian record and, qualifying for the Olympics. I mean, that's, you can't top that really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I think really probably my first race of the year, I ran in Arizona in early January and it was my first real race back from injury. And I still wasn't, I was still, you know, kind of fighting the plantar fasciitis a bit. And I opened my season with a, a 112 20 half marathon and it was a huge PB and just a huge step in the right direction. And I remember finishing and and feeling like I was going to cry because I was like, I'm finally not injured. I'm finally healthy. I'm finally running again. And it was, um, it was really exciting. And I knew then that I think this was going to be a good year. So yeah, that was definitely a highlight <laughs> too. <laughs> definitely. Uh, with both Pan Ams and Worlds this summer and uh, a fall full of great road races, you know, what are the race plans for the rest of the year? Um, well, I'm going to come back from New York and have just sort of a two-week training block, and then I'm running the Vancouver Scotiabank Half Marathon uh, on June 28th, which is an ASICS event, so I'm excited to participate in that, and I'm actually running for a charity for the first time in my life, so I'm pretty pumped about that, and I'm the team captain of my charity, so I've been working hard trying to get uh, donations for that. Vokra, by the way, everybody, check it out, Team Vokra. Um <laughs> And then after after that, I have a big block until Pan Am Games, and then another big block to Worlds. So basically, July and August are devoted 100% to those two races, the Pan Am Games 10,000 and the Worlds 10,000. And then I'm taking a two-week break after Worlds of nothing. <laughs> You know what? I think uh, I think after a season like that, I, th- I think you can take a couple weeks off. <laughs> Now, if uh, people want to follow along with what you're doing, where should they go? Well, I'm all over social media, as probably most people know. I'm on Instagram, at nwodakruns. I'm on Twitter, um, at Tasha underscore Wodak. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. 
And if you want to help my cause, you can go onto the Scotiabank Vancouver Half Marathon website and find me on Team Vocraft. She's the Canadian queen of the 10,000 meters, Natasha Wodak. Thanks a lot for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been roughly six months since we recorded our show about doping after a German documentary alleged many members of the Russian athletics team were using performance-enhancing drugs. Well, now once again, doping in athletics has taken center stage with a BBC documentary alleging that coach Alberto Salazar and Olympic silver medalist Galen Rupp have been skirting rules and may even be out and broke breaking laws in the name of glory. To help us put this all into perspective is Evan Dunphy. Evan is a world-class Canadian race walker by day and a doper hunter by night. Evan is joining us from St. Moritz, Switzerland, where he's getting some altitude training in. Welcome to the show, Evan. Hey, thanks for having me, Michael. I'm glad to be here. Uh, just quickly clarify, I'd, I'd sort of go more with clean sport advocate than I would uh, doper hunter, but... Yeah, that was sort of you know that was sort of a more one-time thing. I think I think standing up for clean sport in general is is more what I'd like to be known for. Duly noted. Now let's start with this uh, the story that really caused this recent spike in conversation about athletics. Uh, it was a piece worked on in part by David Epstein, and for those who don't know, he's no stranger to these sorts of exposés, including one on Lance Armstrong and another one on uh, on A Rod. Even with a tracker record like this, there are some calling into question his credibility and the credibility of his witnesses. Uh, why does it seem that people are so skeptical when reports like this come out? Uh, I think, first of all, it's sort of natural to be skeptical. Um, a lot of us don't want to believe that any of this is true, so that's going to lead us to sort of pick things apart. And I think it's good to be skeptical. I think we need to be skeptical. We need to scrutinize um, all the evidence that's presented because you know, at the end of the day, we're dealing with somebody's reputation here. So if, if it turns out that uh, the credibility isn't there, then you know, have we tarnished Salazar's reputation when he's done nothing wrong? So I think that's sort of one reason why people are being a bit skeptical because it's, you know, it's sort of when you're dealing with uh, a lot of hearsay and a lot of uh, witnesses is without a lot of cold, hard facts and evidence, uh, you're going to be skeptical. But I think another reason for the skepticism is that a lot of these accusations sort of are in that gray area of doping where it, uh, it's not as clear cut as saying as people accusing him as of hooking his athletes up on or, or getting blood transfusions or taking EPO. It's sort of that people don't really know how angry they should be. I think with if these are you know even if it turns out that these are these allegations are true, I don't think people have a good solid sense of where they stand on that because it's so much at that line. You know, the, uh, speaking of that gray area, there's a lot of talk about TUEs in the report or therapeutic use exemptions. Uh, what are they exactly, and are they something that is common for a lot of high-level athletes to have? Yeah, so uh, the therapeutic use exemptions are sort of a, uh, a tool that the athletes can use. Um, so if you have a medical condition that requires the use of a prohibited substance, you you, get a, you apply for TUE. Uh, the application involves many different uh, doctor's reports, lab lab results, uh, medical histories, and it's a pretty thorough application. So for an uh, international athlete, you, you apply directly to the IAAF. So the IAAF has their own medical team that will review your application and decide whether or not you need or you deserve um, the TUE. And so what the IAAF will look for is, you know, is, this, is there an actual medical condition here that requires this this medication. So is there other medications that might not be prohibited that could be used? And they have to make sure that 
the dosage that's being requested isn't going to be performance enhancing. So the IAAF basically wants to ensure that people can compete on a level playing field. So if you have a medical condition, um, this is mostly chronic medical conditions like asthma, where, where you'll have, have this from the time you're a child. And so they want to just make sure that they're sort of leveling the playing field and not giving anyone unfair advantage. Uh, if for non-international athletes, you do, so uh, for, in Canada, we would do that through the Canadian Centre for Sports and Ethics. And they have a great online tool that sort of walks you through all the steps you need to apply uh, to sort that, source that, that stuff out. In, re, in regard to how common they are for high-level athletes, now I don't honestly know of many athletes who take TUEs. It's not something that's talked about openly, at least in, in my circles. That, so I don't, I don't know exactly. I can't really say. I don't imagine it's it's that high level. Now, as you mentioned, uh, what we're dealing with uh, as far as the TUE system and the, the violations of that, uh, or sorry, uh, alleged violations of that uh, with the Oregon product is, in fact, thyroid and asthma medication. Um, just wondering, do you, do you think currently in Canada it would be easy to defraud the system uh, like they're allegedly doing uh, down in the States? I don't think it would be any harder to do it here than it would be in the States. Um, I think it, I, I don't know really enough about about it exactly, but I would guess that it's, it's pretty hard to, the information the IWF acquires, including sort of doctor's, um, and doctor's notes or, or doctor's reports, um, lab reports, lab findings, blood results. Uh, for asthma, you need spirometry data, so stuff like your FEV1 uh, and stuff like that, which I don't know how easy that is to fake. I mean, a blood a blood test obviously would be very challenging to to somehow fake. Um, but then again, if you had a doctor who was willing to forge documents, then, you know, I it, it could be pretty easy. And I don't think that would be any different in Canada than it would be in the States. I thought it was Canada. We have a, I think we have a pretty good system of checks and balances. So when you make a national team in Canada, you fill out a medical form uh, and you're required to list any TUEs you might have. So that information gets passed back to our uh, integrated support team that's headed up by Trent Stellingworth. And I imagine that they review, they will review any any of those TUEs and make sure that they're necessary and sort of an extra step. You know, so you get your TUE from the other layer, and then Athletics Canada can kind of confirm whether or not that's necessary. Um, so I think it's a pretty good system of, of checks and balances that we have within Athletics Canada to make sure that our athletes aren't potentially frauding the system. This isn't the only time that the Nike Oregon project has made the news. Uh, at the end of March of this year, leaked documents suggested that the uh, NOP runners were receiving small doses of uh, L-carnitin, uh, a legal supplement, but it was via injection. Now, many say that's really playing in the gray area. Uh, do you think that uh, WADA should adopt a no-needle rule? Kind of like, well, it's a little bit funny that we're bringing up cycling's UCI as a as a glowing beacon of, of uh, good things in anti-doping, but do you, do you think that the, the no-needle rule could have a place in athletics? Yeah, I, I don't see, I can't really see any good argument why not. Um, obviously, you'd, be assist, you'd need a system in place like the TUE system, or it would probably just be an extension of the TUE system, where if necessary, um, for whatever reason, you need some sort of injection, but that would be acceptable to get. But I can't imagine any situation where an elite athlete is taking these injections that are necessary, really. In respect to the allegations about uh, Alberto Salazar, it really hits home uh, as one of our best distance runners, Cam Levins, trains under his watch. 
Uh, there are countries that have outright banned proven dirty coaches from the sport. Uh, where are we on that in Canada, and what stance would you like to see Athletics Canada take? I would like to see AC uh, Athletics Canada move in that direction. It would mean cleaning up some of our own staff, obviously, um, and as well as getting, you know, for example, getting Aaron Brown away from John Drummond. But you know, I I would welcome welcome this move from Athletics Canada. It would be a good step in the right direction of standing up for anti doping and making sort of putting Canada back, you know, making Canada one of those paramount forefront countries fighting for clean sport. Uh, I think the biggest thing that's going to stand in the way of that happening is the lack of athletes willing to speak up. I think in Canada we have, we don't have many athletes standing up for clean sport publicly, and that's really what can drive the change. I think that's probably one of the big reasons why the UK is so is so uh, heavy into this. I mean, they don't even, they don't allow drug cheats to compete on on home soil and domestic competitions. That is why you didn't see Gatlin uh, performing in Birmingham. Um, and, as, and as I said earlier, they don't allow their athletes to be working with coaches with doping records. And I think in part that's because of the, their athletes and how much they speak out against, against, uh, against doping and stand up for clean sport. You look at women like uh, Paul Radcliffe, Joe Pavey, Jenny Meadows, Lindsay Sharp, like they're all very outspoken when it comes to clean sport. And I think that push from the athletes really drives uh, the organization to want to protect its athletes and, and protect clean sport and stand up for clean sport as well. So I think that would be the big step that we need first is have we need more more athletes in Canada speaking up and, and standing up for clean sport. And that would drive change throughout the whole organization, I think. Back at the turn of the new year, you had dug up a bunch of photos of athletes currently under bans uh, and training, and in some cases racing, when the rules of the sport state that they are not allowed to. Uh, did anything ever become of that, and were any punishments handed out? Yeah, so the IAAF and, and WADA are, are still uh, continuing their investigations of that. They've said publicly that they'd like to have everything uh, sort of wrapped up in, by December. So, you know, hopefully ho- I, hopefully things are they're getting closer to uh, to knowing the facts and, and sorting everything out. Um, I would be very surprised if, if action wasn't taken at some point. Uh, since then, a few more of Chegan's. Uh, so Chegan was the coach of the, the center where all these athletes failed tests, and he's since had a few more athletes fail tests, so I think he's up over over 25 now or something. Cool. Uh, and with regards to Russia, it's it seems to be same old, same old there. Um, they fired a fun, bunch of people, but they're new. So their new head coach, uh, Forzakowski, the ex 800 meter runner, um, he he seems to be be taking over right where the uh, the previous guy left off. He's had nothing but praise for Chagan and all of his athletes, and uh, doesn't yeah. It seems to be no real progress being made there in terms of uh, cleaning up the race walk program or or really their whole athletics program. David Epstein uh, says that at least uh, seven NOP staff athletes. Uh, have gone to the U.S. Anti-Doping Association regarding the project, but until now, we haven't really heard much about the allegations uh, outside of the cesspool that is the Let's Run Forum. Uh, do you think that on national levels and on on the international level that, um, you know, athletics is taking its doping problem seriously? Oh, I think certainly it is. Um, that's not to say that, you know, obviously they're not going around telling everyone what they're investigating and, and what they know because... You know, these guys are real investigators, and this is how real investigators do their work. They aren't. They aren't. You know, they're not journalists. They're not. Uh, they're not trying to make a BBC documentary out of this stuff. They're trying to 
protect this fort and they're trying to, you know, catch these guys. So it's not surprising that we haven't heard much about it because you know, that would that could potentially jeopardize their work. And I mean, we've seen an angry internet mob um, devastatingly accuse people of things they haven't done before with uh, the Reddit Boston Marathon accusations. So I don't hold too much um, say in what the Let's Run Forum people have to say. Um, <laughs> I, I'd, you know, I, I'm happy uh, waiting and withholding my judgment until the IWF and WADA come to their sort of complete conclusions, which could be a long time, and we don't know how long it's been going on for. They could have been, you know, uh, I think uh, Magnus had said that he first went to USADA in uh, late 2012, and so for all we know, this investigation has been going on for nearly three years now, and who knows what information they have that that, uh, that we don't know about. Um, one thing I do think, the Panorama documentary, I think, was a load of fluff, and it really didn't do any, didn't do much good. I think there was a lot of it was a lot of theater and it was a lot of theatrics and it was a lot of uh, hyperbole. Um, but one thing I think it did a really good job of, of is just bringing to light that there is an issue and maybe allowing other people to have information to come forward because that's what really we re what we really need now is people that don't have a relation to one another coming forward with corroborating evidence. Um, and that's how you start building this case. Athletics uh, often seems like a sport that is mostly consumed by diehard fans. However, if you caught the pre-classic this year, you saw guys like Galen Rupp still get huge reactions from you know everyone in the crowd. Uh, if you found if found guilty of you know what's alleged against them, do you think that athletics will further lose relevance with casual fans? Uh, yeah, I feel I I personally feel like Rupp is much more relevant to diehard fans than is to the casual fan. Um, so I'm not sure whether or not, I mean, I, I don't think you can call anyone in Eugene a casual fan. Hmm. Um, you know, Rupp doesn't have a personality. You, the casual fans like somebody that has a personality. You know, you got your Mo Fares, your Usain Bolts. Those are the guys that they cling to because they can, they have, they bring something more to the table than just the ability to run fast. That being said, I, I do think if, if all of this turns out to be true, that athletics is, will be further damaged by this, but our reputation can't get much worse right now. Um, the media seems to be about 80% talking about doping or Justin Gatlin, um, and then maybe 20% actual sort of good stories about athletics, um, which is, you know, I'd like to see that the other way around. I mean, the main stories we should be talking about this year are how great all, all the jumpers are doing. You know, we've had, we have world records that could go down in the men's triple jump and the men's high jump. The, whim, the women's triple jump is the best it's ever been. Renaud Lavillani broke the unbeatable world record. You know, these are the things that we should be talking about. Um, not Justin Gatlin, not Russian doping, not uh, Kenyan doping, or Salazar. You know, let's let's talk about some of the positive stuff. Uh, as mentioned previously, you're doing some altitude training in Switzerland right now. Uh, talk to me about your season coming up. How's the training been going, and uh, what goals do you have for this year? Yeah, season's been, season's been going all right. Uh, I had a fourth-place finish at our Pan Am Racewalk Cup uh, back in May, which was basically all of the guys that I'll be facing off against at Pan Am Games, um, and probably more, because you can take four per country in this one, and we can only take two per country for Pan Am Games, so it shows that I'm sort of right there fighting for that podium, so that's that's exciting, and uh, yeah, in Switzerland now, getting three weeks of solid training in before coming back to Nationals, and then, so we're racing Nationals, and then we're racing the NTL in Edmonton the next week as our final tune-up for, uh, for Pan Ams, and then yeah, just going into Pan Am's, trying to get on that podium. 
it's going to be a hot, humid, awful race. So I'm looking forward to it. And from there, uh, getting ready for Worlds. Um, so I'll be racing the 20K at Pan Ams. And then a month later at Worlds, I'll contest both the 20K and the 50K. Well, we wish you the best of luck with your season. Thanks a lot for joining us to talk about uh, about doping and uh, your season as well. Uh, he's Evan Dunphy, and he's joining us from Switzerland. Thanks a lot, Evan. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Thanks to our guests, Evan Dunphy and Natasha Wodak. Also, thanks to Tracky for their ongoing support. And to you for listening. Remember, you can find us on the iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Tracky.ca. Don't forget, you can stay in touch via our Twitter account at the Terminal Mile. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. 